Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Keith Little, an evangelical convert to the Catholic faith, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that question launched me on a deep dive into the history of my Christian faith, history of the Bible, the canon of the Bible, and then beginning at the early Christian church up to the Reformation and beyond, and a deep dive into the history of theology and Christianity altogether. And it was in that journey that I encountered, for the very first time, the Catholic Church, and in its own words for the very first time. And I realized then what I thought I knew about Catholics and how they practiced their faith, what the Catholic faith was, was based in large part on misinformation and on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, it's an absolute a, a, a banger of an episode, guys. I am joined by my friend Sean McAfee. He himself is a convert to the Catholic faith, read a number of fine books, and this week joins me to talk about sacramentals. The, the crazy, wild world of sacramentals. Guys, these are the things, the, the rosary, holy water, blessings, uh, d- devotions, prayers that set hours of the day. These are the things that for many of us who were not Catholic, who were looking in from the outside, saw these beautiful faith practices, these things that draw people, Catholics, closer to Christ and his church and closer in love with God. We saw these things from the outside and kind of went, well, what's going on here? This looks really cool. I can remember for myself praying the the Divine Office, Liturgy of the Hours, uh, the Rosary. These things, before I became Catholic, they, they drew me in. And many before me, many after me as well, and Sean himself, as a matter of fact. Well, this week, Sean joins me to to talk about what sacramentals are, what they do, what their purpose is, and to showcase some of his favorites, some of the the church's most deep and and rich sacramentals that you can get your hands on and begin to practice and add to your life. Just the rich, beautiful tapestry, that, that, that deep, deep mine of resources that we have from thousands of years of Catholic prayer and practice and life. It's an amazing episode, guys. I can't overstate that. I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure that you will. This conversation and others on this show are brought to you in part by our supporters on Patreon and on PayPal. Guys, this isn't my full-time job, so your financial backing of the show makes it possible week after week. And this week, I want to give a special shout-out to very long-time supporters of this show, Ellie and Tom, faithful, incredible financial backers of this show for a very, very long time. You guys are amazing, so thank you for your continued support. It means so much and is so important to the mission of this thing. So thank you, guys. I am praying for you, both of you. Please pray for me, too. And if you want to help support this show, guys, uh, please head over to those links. They're in the show notes and see how you can do that to support this show. And thank you. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Sean McAfee on sacramentals. What in the world are they? Why should you care? Why it matters? (laughs) It's brilliant. Please listen and enjoy.
friends, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are listening on podcast, thanks for listening. There, make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you find it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review because that helps push the podcast out to new people and gets conversations like this one to a wider audience. So thank you for listening there. And if you're watching on YouTube, hey, thanks for watching. Sorry, I use my hands a lot. I got a bunch of comments recently about my hands. I can't control them. They're kind of they're there. They just they, they flap around a lot. So. Thank you, viewers, for sticking in with the hands and all that. Subscribe to this channel, hit the bell, do all those fun things, and thanks for watching. I am joined this week for a fantastic discussion. It's going to be a great one, guys, by Sean McAfee. He is a convert to the Catholic faith, a lay Dominican, the founder and editor of the Epic Pew website, author of a number of fine publications, including Out from Tan uh, Press, The Compendium of Sacramentals. This is fantastic. A bunch of other books. Awesome. I have a bunch on my shelf here over here, Sean. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. And hello. Thanks, man. It's been a while. I've been waiting for my invite. <laughs> oh, man. Just listen, listen. Okay, so I don't know if you remember this. You you probably don't remember this because you're a busy guy. You, I, I got one of your books years ago, probably five years ago now or something. Maybe I think it was your first book. Fantastic. I read it. I plan to have you on the show. I think maybe COVID hit, I think is what happened in the meantime. But you ghosted me. Never, never ended up on the show. Something happened. I don't know. <laughs> the wires didn't connect, Sean, and uh, didn't get you back then. So this time, this book, I'm like, no, I'm going to have him. He has no choice uh, because this is like the the exact book that I think we were all waiting for, Sean. So kudos in this fantastic book, and thanks for thanks for. Oh, my gosh. Are you for real? Before COVID, I ghosted you? No, I, yeah, I'm very sorry. Yeah. I'll become your co-host, <laughs> and then, then you're stuck with me. <laughs> That's fine. I love that. Do you talk, how are the hands? Do you use the hands a lot? Because the hands yeah, are... Yeah, are you Italian? Oh, I'm not Italian. No, no, I'm... Okay, you know the Italian jokes about... About yeah. Italians and talking with their hands, like how to get them to quit talking and tie their hands behind their back. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that works too. I should try that. Yeah. No, yeah. it's all good. YouTube's a nasty place sometimes, man. I can deal with a lot of the comments, but the hands thing, I don't know, guys. I'm sorry. It's just, I think a lot of us talk with our hands. hands you know? they, they just go, listen, this book is a compendium of sacramentals and it's awesome. I'm, I'm, I was thinking when, the, when I got this book and, and kind of flipped through it and had a look at it, I thought this is exactly the kind of thing that so many of us con to the Catholic faith, John, need and, and want because there, there's so much, and you know this, and I'll ask you a minute to tell us a bit about your own conversion story because it's an interesting one too, but those of us who become Catholic, right, there's so much in the church to mine, like to, to dig into. There's so many different kind of devotionals, so many ways to enhance your enhance your faith and live out your faith and, and be Catholic. So many more ways than there ever was as a evangelical Protestant, but it's it's hard to figure it out sometimes. Like you, you can spend a lifetime, you know, it, it, mining different parts of the Catholic faith, and that's beautiful. This this book gives such a fantastic presentation of the things we do as Catholics in in clear. There's pictures. It's lovely. Did a fantastic <laughs> jobs. I mean, I, I don't. I, I believe in 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 being a virtuous Catholic. I don't want to inflate your ego too much, Sean, and cause you to stumble into the center of, center of pride, but this is a fabulous, this is a fabulous book. Like, well done. Knowing, knowing that I go to you before COVID, you know, already, already <laughs> deflates my ego. You know, I feel bad. No, I'm just kidding. No. Yeah. So I've been a, uh, I've been a Catholic for 11 years. Um, this Easter will make 12. So I converted in 2012. I had to think of that before the show. And you asked, um, it's so funny how long you can do something and then still be, learning and it's like a marriage you know i've been married for yeah. 15 years and yeah. i was just telling a friend you know 
never be afraid to, you know, even do counseling or, or have the hard discussions over and over again, because things can go by in a whirl and yeah. you can realize yeah. all the things that you're missing and need. So, no, I um, have <clears throat> been Catholic for almost 12 years and um, it started with a uh, an aggressive, I guess, uh, venture into disproving one of my Catholic friends um, back in <laughs> Omaha. I live in New Orleans now, mm. but disproving him. Yeah. So he was a, he's a psychologist. And I mean, this guy could have probably answered questions on the side for Catholic answers. And um, I asked him one day, cause, cause he was, he was using terms. It was, he was, he's a biblical counselor and I was having some, uh, you know, some personal troubles at the time. And um <clears throat> And he would pull out these, uh, you know, examples from the Bible and he would say St. Mary or the Blessed Virgin, St. Paul and St. Peter. And I'd be like, you mean, you mean Mary and you mean Paul? And <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the scriptures don't call them the Blessed Virgin Mary. So what are you doing? And I said, so are you Catholic? And you know, I had a little bit of an education, this kind of thing. Um, and he said, yeah. And I said, and I just kind of wanted to trigger him, I guess. And I said, <laughs> I, I said, well, should I be a Catholic? And I just wanted to know what he said. And, and his answer really blew me away, uh, even to this day. And it seems so simple, but he said, you know, I, I believe you're a Christian. I believe you love the Lord. Um, um, but, you know, there are some differences. And, and what those differences are that I would recommend is to say, yes, you should be a Catholic because you don't have all the tools of the faith. You're not, you're not, a, you're not a worshiping God in the fullness of the faith, um, especially through the Eucharist. But, uh, you know, as we talk about the saints, you know, these are the cloud of witnesses we see in um, Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, so, yes, of course you should be Catholic. You should, you should have the complete um, gospel presented to you in order to live a, a life of sanctification. I was like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> you know, it's just me and the Bible and the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and I and I was a thoughtful I was a thoughtful Christian, but um, <clears throat> took a lot of issues with what he what he was saying there, you know. And so I had all the stumbling blocks that anybody would, you know, had to discover what the Eucharist was, had to um, understand the Marian dogmas and how he you know, duly and hyperduly a veneration, you know, uh, the ultimate veneration of, of, of Mary uh, above all the saints. And then, of course, the worship of God, the right kind of worship that we adore to him as adoration alone. Um, you know, those are things that I took back to him every other week. Um, and it became so uh, it became so enamored in this subject that I would go to my wife. I, mean, I was pretty much done with the counseling at that point in time. And I was like, Jessica, you got to meet this guy. His name is Sean, too. And, um, you know, uh, she got kind of tired of it. We were having she's pregnant with our first son. She's pregnant with our first baby. And she's, you know, she's nesting. She's preparing yes, to yes, bring a, a, a life into the world and to expand our family. And I'm kind of like not in touch at all. And I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about what he saying all day and you know reading scott hahn and um steve ray and uh just a myriad of authors and uh she was like okay well you can you can study all that but you know let's let's also focus on our family and uh bringing this child into the world and, and then we'll take care of all of that um so, you know, every week, like I said, I would bring a new topic to this guy, whether it was infant baptism or, you know, even the, um, you know, the perpetual virginity of Mary or just these simple subjects or, or very important subjects about the sacraments um, I would bring to him. And I would read even Protestant history books, um, you know, from like Yale professors or Cambridge and uh, and they would talk about Ignatius of Antioch or Tertullian and all these guys corroborated to prove that the Catholic Church in very, very legitimate and visible ways 
was a lot the same as the Catholic Church as far as structure and beliefs um, within the first century, obviously handed on from the apostles. They would have gone that far that quick. Um, and these are people who, you know, Clement knew and Ignatius, or I mean, uh, Irenaeus knew St. John, um, the rev, rev, of the revelation, uh, that St. John. And, you know, Linus and Clement knew St. Peter. And it's just fascinating to me to know all this and to learn that there's this corroboration of these Catholic theological elements in the first and second century. Um, and so, at, at, you know, to kind of sum it up, Keith, is at the end of this study, which took about a year, I, I, I hate to put it this way, but I didn't really want to be a Christian if I couldn't be a Catholic, because I knew it was, at that point, even, even though I hadn't been, um, I hadn't had my baptism, you know, confirmed by a priest or anything, I hadn't had my marriage blessed, hadn't even been, you know, accepted into the church through confirmation. I didn't really want to be a Christian if I couldn't be a Catholic, because my conscience would be violated. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, got into RCIA immediately. I was like super late to the boat, right? RCIA usually starts <laughs> in like, I don't know, September. They let me in right after the new year in January in 2012 and became a Catholic at the Easter mass at, on the Easter vigil. I think it was like April 12th or something in 2012 and holy smokes, can't believe it's been, it's been <laughs> over 10 years now and still learning tons. You know, I didn't know all about the sacramentals yeah, before yeah, I wrote this yeah. book. It's just fun to learn and share it. That's awesome. That's, and that's funny because I had a similar experience. Our first, our, our, my wife was pregnant with our first son when I kind of went to her and said, you look, look, Hey honey, I've been doing research for the last year. I, uh, you, I think you maybe came to your wife a little earlier than I did. And, uh, but here's one. And, no, no, no. We're having a baby. Like, this is this is really awful timing. So right, yeah, it is. Yeah, pretty poor. Eventually, pretty poor eventually I think just like a pregnancy, she nine months later she came in on the first yes. sun, Sunday of Advent. Yes. So yes, it's really glad yeah. to have that kind of communion. Yeah. You know, not everybody gets that. Not every convert husband gets that. So um, thanks be to God for that. The yeah, mercy yeah. of our family. Yes, Amen. And we're we're the exact same way. It, it was it was exact same situation pretty much yeah that's so okay so sacramentals like that's so fascinating okay so i don't know what what your perspective was on sacramentals before you became catholic but for me there's kind of two ways of you know i think about this and the first is sacramentals are those weird things that non-catholic christians look at us as catholics and kind of go like, what are they doing what are those things they you know, why they cross themselves, why are they blessing themselves, why are, they, what are these rosaries, what are these other weird things that are happening in mass, why are there bells and incense sometimes, and what's what's going on? And they kind of go like, wow, that's that's weird, and probably super wrong. Like that, like that, yeah. that I, I think actually it was Marcus Gordai from The Journey Home, I had him on the show a while ago now, and I think, I think it was him that, who said that to the non-Catholic Christian, a really devout Catholic looks like a complete idol-worshipping pagan, right? Because yeah. if you're the complete package, if you're a devout Catholic, like you're you're doing the rosary, you're doing the kneeling for statues, you're doing like, you know, you're going to a mass that's going to have the bells and the incense and like you're, but that looks to the outside like these crazy things, right? Yeah. So there's that aspect of sacramentals. And there's, the other part of that is those Christians, those non-Catholic Christians who don't have those things, we believe as Catholics are missing out on a huge part, like kind of like you were, right? What your your therapist friend said, right? You're missing out on, on a huge part of what it means to have the fullness of the faith that, that God gave us in the Catholic Church. So there's those two aspects to it. One is the, the danger, danger. These things are scary. But then we see that and go, no, actually, you're missing out on these things. And I think knowing more about these things, if you learn what they are, what they do, what they're for— like that goes a long way to beginning to bridge that 
that gap. And that's the thing we do on the show. This is the whole goal, right? Is to help people understand what we as Catholics are actually doing or believing right. in, the, in these things that we do. So this is a fascinating topic to dig into. And I think the best place to start with, because there's those misconceptions, is to ask you, what, what the sacramental? Like, what, where do we even begin talking about these, these things? The church has, I wouldn't say struggle, but the church has strived for the 2000 years it's been around to really put a good definition on it. Because even as early as the days of uh, the patristic fathers or, yeah, or the, yeah. the early classicals, people were, um, Aquinas actually had to kind of kind of create the word sacramentals. Um, the medieval writers had to kind of copy that suit because they were, diff they were, there was difficult to take the words of like, let's say, um, you know, Clement, I mentioned some of the early Christian authors or Origen, and they'd be talking about holy water and they call it a sacrament. But of course, they weren't talking about the valid signs of, you know, actual grace being efficated upon a person. So a sacramental, the church has strived to, to put a definition on these. A sacramental is a sacred sign that bears resemblance to the sacraments. And what, it, what the church wants us to know is that they point us in the direction. They dispose us to receive the sacraments, which do contain the efficacious grace that will sanctify our lives and hopefully one day bring us into the gates of heaven. So that's a lot to unpack, but the basic, the basis of a sacramental is that it points us to a specific feature of sanctification through the sacraments, which are always efficacious. They always work and sacramentals don't really have that grace impartation. They put us in a position that disposes us and disposes us in order to go and receive that through the sacraments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, I guess, maybe a fundamental kind of misunderstanding or a fundamental difference between a lot of non-Catholic Christian practice and, and Catholics, right? We have a priesthood, we believe, comes from things that the Christ established, right? And the, the bishops, right, the succession from the apostles, this authority is passed down through time. Priests are agents of, of the church, right, that have the ability to help us to worship God in the way that he wants us to worship him, right? So when we say sacraments, talking about these things that we believe that Christ instituted, right? And, and there's roots of this in, in, in the Jewish tradition, right? They come down, yes. right? Catholicism is kind of the, the fulfillment of that. These, these sacraments are that way that God wants us to worship him and how God gives us grace in the ordinary form, right? That, that right there is a big difference from say, non-Catholic Christianity, right? Like, I certainly wouldn't have believed that there's a special way that God gives me grace. I would have gone to, to, to church, I would have prayed, I would have listened to a sermon and believed that I was living the Christian life. As Catholics, there's a different way of living, right? There's actually, we can do these things that we believe Christ has prescribed for us that actually help us to become more like him. Those are, right, the sacraments. Does that make sense to lay that kind of framework out? Because yeah, the sacramentals exactly. kind of draw from that, right? Yeah, the church calls it ex opere operato for the sacraments. And this is kind of nailed down in the book um, really early on because everybody needs to kind of understand exactly what the difference is. You know, we right. can say bears yeah. resemblance. But what does that really mean? So the church says that sacraments always operate ex opere operato, which is fast, fancy Latin to say they always work. It's, it's by the virtue of the work produced. So that's sacraments. They always work. And sacramentals, not to say they don't always work, but there's there's more of a, they're more like the road signs that point you to the direction of sure, where you're yeah, trying to yeah, get yeah. something that actually works. If it's, 
trying. I, I don't want to make too many crude, crude uh, references, but if they get you to the restaurant or they get you to the church or get you home, um, these are the signs that do that. And I, and I like talking about our separated brothers and sisters. Um, I mean, before I was a Catholic, I, I wore a cross around my neck. I, I had hung a cross on my wall. My wife even gave me this, you know, image of a dove in a, on a coin um, within our first two years of marriage, well before we were Catholic, um, that represented, you know, the Holy Spirit. And these are signs that can remind me of these actual spiritual facts and truths. And that is a lot like what the sacraments do. You know, you have the, the three breakdowns of sacramentals, right? You have blessings, which we all really understand. We have uh, um, exorcisms. That's the second category, um, which we can get into just a little bit. I don't go into a ton of it in the book. And then we have, of course, the popular devotions. And those are the signs and the devotions that we either pray and participate in or the physical um, signs of piety, like this crucifix behind me or, you know, a a medal. Oh, I'm not wearing it. I had surgery recently. I'm not wearing it. Um, you know, like a, like a miraculous medal around yeah, your neck yeah, or a St. Yeah. Benedict medal that point us in the direction of a specific truth. And what they do is they supposed to move our hearts. You're supposed to look at a crucifix, you know, even as a Protestant, you can look at a crucifix and say, my gosh, I mean, look what, look what he suffered for me. Yeah. And that can lead you to contrition. It can lead you to sorrow for your sins and, and so forth. So we can talk all about the many types of Sacramentals are our candles, and you mentioned the smells and bells, you know, the incense and, you know, sacred bells, um, and they all are supposed to kind of have a unique way of pointing us back in the direction of sanctification. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I love that. I mean, and, and and putting it in, that, in those terms, right, these are things that, that non-Catholic Christians do too in large part, right? We, 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 I think the Catholic Church has a longer history of maybe naming some of these things and describing them more, and there's certainly more ways of, exp- of expressing our faith in tangible ways, but that's because, I think, in its wisdom, and we see this right from Jesus himself. In Christ himself, we, we believe, instituted the sacraments which from which sacramentals come, but there are, there are a number of, of things that Christ does that are, that are physical, things we see physically happening in the New Testament. I'm thinking even the idea of relics, like, you know, St. Paul's handkerchief, right? St. Peter's shadow, these kind of weird things that that's in the Bible, right? And, and the church draws from, from those things. I mean, didn't, didn't one day sit down and go, oh, we should, we should take this handkerchief thing and do this, right? You know, right away, right? Those things kept, kept being a thing. Like it didn't stop, it didn't stop being a thing. I remember reading once, and I say this in the show a couple of times, that there's testimony of the very first Christians once they were catechized into the, the Christian faith, would be told the location of St. Peter's tomb, right? And they used wow. to go and would, would lower uh, scraps of cloth, like handkerchiefs, for right. example, down in this, this hole into where the tomb was to hopefully touch it against the bones of, of Peter because they believed that had this sacramental connection. It wasn't magical. It didn't magically heal people. I mean, it right. certainly could. God could use it to do that, right? And there are cases of that, of those kind of things happening. But it was that kind of, that, like you say, that, that road sign pointing like, oh my gosh, I have here in my house this cloth that touched Peter that reminds me of the grace that God gave Peter, that reminds me of the power that God gave Peter in, in the church and, and points back to Christ. Like that, this has always been a thing. 
<laughs> the sacramentals, it, right? It definitely has, and like you said, it comes from the 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 scriptures of the the Jewish roots, right? In Second yeah. Kings, we read of Elijah. You know, they they touched the bones yes. of a dead man, yes. and he was brought back to life. I mean, so yeah, so relics—they're not exactly a sacramental, but they're related to sacramentals because they they we well, first of all, a lot of sacramentals are touched to relics. Um, which be, makes them third-class relics. So if they touch a first-class relic, we can go into the definitions of these. If they touch a first-class relic, they become a third-class relic. And so you can have a lot of sacramentals. I've got some crosses that have been touched to the bone. You know, I think it's like a femur of, uh, of St. Dominic. Very lucky to have these things. Now, I'm not sure exactly what I expected from it, other than for my faith to increase, <laughs> my, my devotion to increase as I wore this or used this or carried this rosary or these crucifixes. Um, crucifici. Um, but, right? <laughs> Yeah. A little bit, a little bit of Italian. Um, oh. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're right on, and it's, it's fascinating. It's exciting. It's exciting, and it's not weird, but it does. There is some, th- some, act, some items to guard against that I talk about in the book. It's not just, you know, what is it and how do you do it. There's a lot in this book that I point to about, you know, how do we treat these things when we're talking to other Catholics or non-Catholics yeah, yeah. about them? How do we defend the use of them, or even just. Um, not not give up so, such an erroneous smell um, to our separated brothers and sisters whenever we're, we're using these, like wearing a rosary, you know, for fashion or putting one on your wall for decoration or hanging one from your rearview mirror. Like, where do we draw the line between superstition and religious practice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like you say, I mean, knowing and understanding why we do these things and what they mean and what they point back to, that's such an important thing, right, about... Uh, explaining the faith right to those who are who are inquiring i can think of myself so many people that i encountered say in high school university who are quote-unquote catholic who say wait wear a rosary right or have it on their on their dad on their rear view mirror or have catholic things hanging around well if you ask them well, what's what's that for what, what do you use that for well, i don't use that i don't know what it does it, it hangs there because that's what i was told to do and i i, I do that right and that's that's a, a kind of a poor witness to somebody who's who's asking questions about the faith, who's really inquiring and wants to know, right? So I, it's important, I think, to know kind of the roots of why we're doing these things if we're going to really do them, well, first of all, do them effectively, right? Uh, make use of them appropriately. And for the, the, the watching world, I think it's increasingly going to become curious with these, with these wacky Catholics as the world be- continues to kind of spiral away from religion altogether, right. like to yeah. know how to explain, okay, you, yeah, you know what? I do this because this is what I think it does. And this is what this is how it helps me in my faith kind of thing. That, that explaining thing, I yeah. think, is going to be really important and is. I do have an appreciation for the wisdom there. And thanks be to God, my wife pointed out to me, because I kind of, not to say I called her out, but I noticed that she had a like a rosary hanging from her rear view mirror in the, in the family van. She's like, oh no, that's actually a rear view like decoration that I bought at a religious store. It's not like a full rosary. It kind of resembles a rosary with, you know, some sort of metal and some beads and then a crucifix. But this isn't like, you know, a rosary that I could be praying and then don't. This is kind of like an ornamental decoration that could serve as like the same purpose, like, you know, just one of those visual reminders. Um, But yeah, you know, there, there is, there's a difference between like wearing then I, and I mentioned like wearing them for fashion or putting them on your wall for decoration. Like either of those things could be done with absolute excellence 
should you actually have the devotion to those items or, you know, be willing to defend and explain and, and show the hope for the reason that is any, you know, the first Peter uh, 15, you know, three fifteen kind of practice. Um, those can be wonderful examples of the faith. And of course the, you know, your personal devotion to them. I mean, I don't see a lot of difference in wearing a, a, a wearing a rosary so long as you use it and wearing a medal so long as you believe in it too. So um, kind of kind of a difference there, but um, yeah, uh, Catholics are known for getting into these little pitfalls that can uh, make it look a little superstitious. You know, sure. the, the rosary hanging from my wife's van is not going to protect us from accidents, um, but it definitely will um, bring to mind the the blessings and the oh, yeah. um, safety that oh, we're yeah. praying for as yeah. we do venture out into the world. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I, I I hung one for a long time because it helped me to stay honest when I'm driving. So I can't I can't tailgate and honk at the person in front of me if there's a rosary hanging there. I actually need to like behave myself, and that's a, it was a fantastic <laughs> reminder to live my faith out. Like I'm. I got that, you know, the Jesus fish in the back of the van does a similar thing. Like, I, I, if I'm cutting a guy off and that's what the last thing he sees, well, that's not very witness to my, to my Christian faith. I like that, the Jesus fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to I start maybe the, in the meat of things with the sacramental, the, the gestures, because there's so, there are so many just interesting things we do with our body, like gestures we make at Mass when we pray. I mean, that... That alone could probably be a, a full book treatment here, I think, digging into those kind of things we do, those Catholic calisthenics, right? Like at Mass. Yeah. But those, yep. the, there, there's so much in all of those gestures, right? And I, I think having kids brings it home for you, right? When you are teaching your kids what these things mean, you really got, first of all, you realize how many things there are to teach them about different yes. gestures we do, the kneeling, the bowing, genuflecting, like the, the crossing yourself, all these things. And then it's like, you know what? They, they are so important. Like, all these things serve a certain purpose. And I don't think, I'm sure you'll, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think many who experience Catholicism for the for the first time begin to live out their faith, meet older, more mature Catholics who go, oh, I didn't know that's what we, why we, sure. did, why we did that. I just always right. grew up you know, kneeling and bowing and genuflecting without really understanding why that was happening. Or don't know that they're supposed to be doing something at a certain time because our culture has kind of maybe lost that kind of understanding of why it's important to do those things. Yeah, nobody's And you come in as a new a convert and go yeah. like, hey, well, no one's bowing here. What's, what, what's going on? No one's doing this. But these gestures are, I mean, they're amazing. They're beautiful. They're, they're rich and, and, and they're ancient, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. So the gestures are like one of the most important parts that you said, you know, talking about children, I'm thinking of my son, Dominic, you know, I constantly have to remind him, you know, good genuflection is on the right knee. Um, but really, it's a matter of, you know, showing reverence to the yeah. tabernacle, yeah. of course. And that's really what we're doing. And it may look definitely hocus pocus. It can look like, oh, my gosh, why are you showing worship to a, a man-made idol? You know, why are you breaking the first commandment here? You know, you're pe people might not even realize you're doing it to the altar, or to the tabernacle, but you know, you could bow in front of a, a you know, a, a crucifix or a statue of Mary or something like that and be completely justified in what you do, but it can look the wrong way. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, having those understandings, but really, even if they don't understand, you know, just even having the inner disposition, because that's what it's all about, is just having the inner disposition to, you know, realize you're not doing it out of, you know, what do they say, going through the motions. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. like making the sign of cross after receiving communion, like that's not a requirement, you know, but bowing in front of communion is um, that kind of thing. You know, it's very, very important for Catholics to, to apprehend and understand these things, not just so they can do them and, you know, kind of check off the scorecard. I had a priest who used to say, you know, God's not a cosmic scorekeeper. He's not counting how many times you cross yourself, but it does matter. Yeah. I mean, this is the chief sign of our faith, the sign of the cross. Yeah. You know, there's, I think there's like 25 things. I've got an article on Epic View or something somewhere. So there's like 25 things to sign of the cross says when you do it, you know, the incarnation, God coming down or you know, the procession of the Holy Spirit, you know, through the Father and the Son, yeah. and the procession of the Holy Spirit crossing that gap between the Father and the Son, through the love of the of the two, first person, first and second person, um, things like that, or just a reminder of our baptism, um, you know, make wonderful splashes, no pun, no pun intended, no pun included, you know, make wonderful impressions on our faith, but also, you know, obviously serve to keep us mindful and as we're mindful it's it's really cyclical you know as we're mindful our faith will grow and then as our faith will grow through the mercy of god you know which is always a gift you know our interest in making those good signs of the cross not just a you know quick i just hit a home run and you got to do it at yankee stadium kind of thing <laughs> making it willfully and and nice um can matter um yeah. but yeah yeah so you're yeah yeah, and it was I, I can remember my my very first RCIA class, right? As in looking becoming Catholic, and we prayed, right? And suddenly the sister leading the class does sign the cross. And I'm like, I'm like, whoa, 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 what's like that was the really the chief like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like we're 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 different. Like this, these people are different than yeah. like, even like the praying is praying, right? Uh, right? But you suddenly realize like, wait a minute, th this thing this marks us as being different than, than all other, or many other Christians, because we do this thing, we begin to pray, but then you look into it, and you realize how ancient this, this sign is, like you say, what a kind of catechesis it is, all these things that it symbolizes, right, the yeah. richness of that, the the ancientness of that, it's, it. That simple gesture. It's simple. It's truly like ancient, said, too. Like, I mean, yeah. It really was like the secret handshake of the yes. first and second century, yeah. you know, until it be like they wouldn't even, from what I understand, the sign of the cross wasn't even just like a physical apprehension. Like they would, they would actually kind of with their feet or with their fingers, like draw it in the sand, oh, yeah. you know, and then yeah. they became kind of like, you know, they would use their thumb to trace something on their forehead. Now we have, of course, we have like three different ways to make the sign of the cross, you know, the full, yeah. um, we have the, you know, before the gospel, you know, yeah. even some. Sometimes if I like, I don't know, run a yellow light or see an ambulance, I'll, I'll, I won't make a full <laughs> sign. I'll like, you know, do one of these on my forehead. Um, and then of course, you know, priests and, um, yes. you know, they bishops, you know, make the, make the hand gesture, but, um, yeah, those matter and they do impart a special blessing. And that's really where it all kind of yeah. comes from. It's not, it's, I call it a double sacramental. It really is one cause it's the sign of the cross, but even if they're giving a blessing, you know, it, 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 they're calling or invoking the name of Christ, which he has commanded us to do. Yes. So that is one of those weird things where I'm like, okay, you know, I, I go to family dinners or something or family Thanksgivings or holidays and nobody else in my extended family yeah, is Catholic. Same, yeah. My kids will all start, you know, Hey, it's family <laughs> mealtime. Sean, say those, say, you're the either religious one of the family and everybody will bow their heads, but we're the yeah. only ones crossing ourselves. And everybody, I can yeah. tell it makes everybody uncomfortable. Like, yeah. are they afraid yeah. they'll like convert all of a sudden or like, you know, maybe all the demons will come out or smoke will you know, come out of the fence or something. I don't know what they're thinking is going to happen, but I mean, this is what Christ has commanded us <laughs> yes, to do is to yes, pray in yes, his name. And yes. of course it's the name of the entire Trinity. So why yeah. would we not use it? 
That's so funny to me. Yeah. I could go off on a huge tangent there about how <laughs> even as a Protestant, like never mm. prayed in the name of the Holy Spirit, but why on earth not? Preach it, man. You know, Preach so. it, yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. But you're right. Like this, this, okay, I mean, this is the first thing you do treat in this book is this, we might like it past this first sacramental, but really, yeah, I, I agree. It's such a strange thing that why didn't I do this before? This is an ancient prayer gesture. Right. Why? Why? Like, what was my problem before as evangelical that we thought this was inappropriate to do? And why are people so allergic to, you know, I, we're the same, right? We're the same. My, my kids will do that. We will do that. And we're the only ones at the, at the table doing that. And it's Because it's, funny. it's wholesomely Catholic. Yeah, it's strange, And if right? you're not, it's like, it, it's kind of, it's, I don't want to compare it to the Eucharist because the Eucharist is, of course, the source and summit of our faith. It's what unites us. But the sign of the cross is, pretty similar in a way i know other liturgical denominations you know lutherans i don't know if about episcopalians um, um anglicans use it but not nearly as much like in a standard sacrament like baptism like 17 signs of the cross will be made yeah like it is a premier aspect of our faith <laughs> to bless things with the sign of our you know with the sign yeah <laughs> of our faith you know what what was the tool that god chose yeah, yeah, to yeah. to be sacrificed as a lamb um it's so cool like we yeah. could we could make a whole episode about it <laughs> well i saw the coolest it's all thing. in the book it's it all is, in the book it's, it's all in the book it, it is well one more thing on this i saw the coolest thing we had a potluck with our bunch of catholic families in this group we were a part of the other week and we had a priest there along with us and he did the blessing of you know for before we ate and in the middle of his his prayer he he turned and then did the priestly blessing towards the the buffet table at the public table and i go yeah well of course like he's you know we would we would as lay people we'd, we'd pray you know god thank you for this food let's do our bodies like give us strength give us a good a good meal here together whatever we always in our family pray for a good night's sleep as well because it's hit or miss sometimes with young family but of course the, the you know the, the priest with the authority of christ can literally bless, bless the food there too so he, i love that he you know signed the cross he prayed and then turns and actually blesses the food in the sign of the cross as well and then kind of kept praying i thought yeah yeah, bless everything, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I mean, it's all under God's creation. I mean, of course, not the abominable or, you know, depreciable, but, you know, God God has made all creation, so why not give him glory and ask him to, yeah. you know, be glorified through our consumption of these things? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> okay, the next thing that people would, would notice, okay, if they were to come to a Catholic household or do a Catholic church, sign the cross, okay, and then the crucifix, like in, and so, you know, I, I, the tradition that I came out of, a Pentecostal church for most of my high school and early university career, we, I don't know, they were, they were so allergic to anything resembling like an idol or an icon or something that we had in our, in our church proper, we had a cross, but it, was, it wasn't even in the front of the church, it was kind of on the side of the church, like kind of out of the way, because even that couldn't kind of be front and center. You go to any Catholic church, right? And, and the crucifix, Jesus on the cross, is often yeah. going to be front and center there, right? And that's going to be a major difference for those who are coming from a non-Catholic tradition, right? So yeah. what, what, are, what are we to understand about the crucifix versus the cross? And I guess what are we to help others understand when they see that and go, this isn't right. Christ rose, rose. he shouldn't be on the cross still, Sean. 
Sure. It's, you know, gosh, there's so many ways to answer that. My, my mind is immediately triggered. I don't know if you remember like back in like 2011, 2012, 2013, those spoken word videos on YouTube were oh, like that guy. super yeah. popular. Yeah. And yep. I think a father, yeah. he was named Father Pontifex yes, or yes. something like that. He came back with one, but there was one that was really popular. It was like, oh, I'm not religious. Um, what, what, what is it? I'm, uh, I'm not religious, but I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then, so they, so they blew up in popularity. We had some Catholic responses to those. And then there was this one of this, this Islamic man kind of, uh, kind of tearing down all of these other spoke Christian spoken word ones. And I remember, I don't remember much of it, but he made one line. He said, uh, you know, using the, using the cross to glorify your, your, your sacrifice Lord is like, you know, glorifying the the murder weapon that was used to kill your mother, and I'm like, okay, I mean, you're you're really missing it because the the cross is is more than just like the murder weapon. I mean, whenever we look at it, and and you can read this in the works of like Josephus, um, who's a very popular early. Jewish writer um, who corroborates a lot of Christian testimony. And one of the things that he does is he talks about how um, the feast of the pa- the Paschal feast, which is the Pascha is, of course, a, a lamb. So it's that Paschal sacrifice that was made at the Passover um, that, that was actually skewered and roasted. And it was, we can read in his works that it was actually skewered through the spine, he says, and then it was crossed at the shoulders through the arms to actually, now I had surgery on my shoulder, so I got to be careful. My wife's going to be mad when she watches this, but it actually lays out the lamb as a cruciform. And that's how they roasted the Paschal sacrifice for, you know, 1500 years, um, in in a, in observation of those uh, um, the Torah, you know how the Torah says that you're supposed to sacrifice, yeah, and that was yeah. actually the method. So we don't just look to the cross as you know the murder weapon. We look to it as the fulfillment of the the one sacrifice. You know, none of the sacrifices were ever good. You know, none of the none of the all of the sacrifices. You can read Psalm 51. It's my favorite psalm, and towards the end it says, you know, the Lord doesn't want you know, just a sacrifice. He wants a, a broken and consoled yes, and contrite yeah. heart. And then he yes, will accept yes, yes. the sacrifices and, and bullocks upon the altars. And so whenever we're thinking about that, we're thinking about the cross and the crucifix is not only, and you know, we don't do a curse. I've already said it. We don't see it as the murder weapon. We see it as the, the final fulfillment, God's chosen plan from all time to redeem mankind through this one tool. So of course that image is so important as far as the commandments are concerned, you know, they would say that, Hey, look, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're making a, an image of the divine and, you know, different councils here and there. I think it was the second council of Nicaea had to address this. You know, we, God commanded us in the first commandment to, to not create a, an idol or, or a, an image of anything that is in heaven or on earth below, but, and people kind of stretch that and they're like, well, you made an image of the divine. You, you made an image of Christ, you know, but, but think about that. First of all, I mean, in the old Testament, you pointed to it earlier, you know, these come through Jewish practices. So what's on the top of the mercy seat of the tabernacle, the cherubim, yeah. the, the wings of the angels, the highest order of the angels out, outstretched. Um, there's a story and I pointed out in here in the, in the book of Chronicles where um, God, God asked his people, um, 
in the early days of Jerusalem to build a pillar with a serpent on it. And as they passed over the shadow of this pillar, they would be healed. The serpent actually represents Christ in the Old Testament. Um, And we got a number of these types of sacramental images where God commands his people to create these things. And so, yeah, the, the early church saw no issue in artistically De, uh, exporting the imagery of our faith in order to say, hey, look, it, we're being reminded of this. Um, we're not believing that he is there, you know, where is it? I'm bad at this, that he is there on the cross, but that it's a an image of him in order to dispose us again, dispose us in order to go and sanctify ourselves through the ways that he commanded, which is the the sacraments. Man, that was a mouthful, but yeah, that, <laughs> that was that, that's how I see it. That's how I was explaining. <laughs> that's, that's great. No, that's, that's a great explanation. And I think, you know, one of those things, trying to understand the the Protestant mindset about this, right, is one of those those misconceptions is that we as Catholics are re-crucifying Christ at every Mass, right? Re-sacrificing Christ. It wasn't good enough or something, right? And and I get that because if you if you're at a ma- if you're at Mass with no kind of prior knowledge as an evangelical Christian, as a Protestant Christian, and you hear the language of the priest talking about my sacrifice and yours, and and Lord, accept this sacrifice at my hands, and, and you're, it, it sounds a lot like like something's being re re sacrificed, right? And then you see Jesus on the crucifix, and the, I think the logical kind of Protestant conclusion many times is: Look, these guys, like he's still suffering, we're still sacrificing. This is all wrong. Not understanding the, the deep theology of well, what's being sacrificed? We're representing Christ to the Father, which He commanded right. us to do at the Last Supper, right? The priest is fulfilling that in the words that Christ right Christ gave us, right? And like you say, that crucifix isn't Christ still suffering or Christ being crucified. It's it's reminding us of that, right? That 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 mechanism that means that that God chose to redeem us, right? Right. I, I, yeah. I, it's I can present see, for all ages. Yeah. It's present for all ages, and yes. it matches. That's why you know I I'm not to, I'm not like a super trad. But my kids will, will will all go to a like a Latin mass, and one of the things I like is at the consecration, they lift the um, they lift the chasuble of the priest who yeah, is presenting yeah. the host or the or the chalice um, after the consecration, and it's an image of like him kind of like ascending, like him kind of flying, yeah. is what I tell yeah. the kids, and because the Paschal meal is still ongoing in heaven. So yeah, we are representing it, but it's a mass for all ages. Yeah. It didn't just happen in the first century, and then we're like, okay, well they had it, and. We don't get to participate. No, he said that this is a, you know, this is meant for all generations and, you know, that we would have to consume his body. Well, he made this way of doing it, of course. Um, There's a lot, a lot of stuff to get into there with, you know, the, the the 40 years in the desert, the manna and whatnot, and Christ is our final manna. But yeah, uh, yeah, you're. You're right on the number. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think like a lot of those those misconceptions would come from similar places, right? Like, yeah, to, to understand that no, we're not re-crucifying Christ on the cross. That's not why he's there. Understanding that will help. I think the evangelical understand that no, in mass, we're also not re-sacrificing Christ. These are very similar reasons as to why we're showing him on the cross as to what's happening in mass. And there's the, a, a deep connection there, right? Cause we're, we're bending time and space in a way uh, yeah. in both those cases. I think that's, yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. And it's, it, it, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's amazing. It, it, it's, it's, 
<laughs> it's all those things. And We're I love just the getting started. <laughs> yes. And I love the priest in the Latin mass flying up to heaven, right? That, that's where the bank yeah. is happening. He's, he's got to go yeah. up there. He's, he can't be here. He's, he's, and there he's, are actually priests. Um, I think St. Dominic was one of them. I was just reading about um, uh, a few others and butlers, you know, as they would perform their consecrations, yeah, yeah, they would yeah. actually levitate. Yeah. And so that. I mean, that's a, you know, not every priest is able to, you know, be gifted for that kind of not every, not every ecstasy priest, no, or participation yeah. at mystery. But yeah, it's a well-represented one um, in some of those saint stories. Yeah, that's awesome. There's, so I, I want to touch on a few more things. Holy water is one of the other th- things that Catholics are known for, right? Things, yeah. things we're, we're known for. We're known for exorcisms. <laughs> we're known for crossing ourselves, known for the crucifix, and we're known for holy water, right? So... What tell us a bit, a bit about that because I think this is again one of those things that it, it makes so much sense when you begin to understand it. But what, yeah, Sean, holy water, what's what? So, holy water is deep, but to get kind of straight, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I keep picking these, I keep making these puns. So, holy water is like a, a, a deep um concept, but the bottom line is that it points us to our baptism. So, of course, God is you know, since the Old Testament with, with Noah and the crossing of the Jordan and so forth, even, even the very first um. Even the first verse of the Bible says that God was present over the waters, um, you know, the voidless waters at that point. Um, so water reminds us and makes us mindful of our baptism. Where we entered into Christ's mystical body. Um, this is how we come into the church. It's the sacrament of initiation. And um, we, we expect holy water to, uh, to bless us, to remind us of this, to, of course, like I keep saying, to dispose us and um, move us and to keep us holy. Now, there's a misnomer here. Um, you will find no shortage on great Catholic websites out there that say, hey, holy water um, has the ability to remit venial sins. And that's not exactly true. Like, no, we pointed out at the very beginning of the podcast here, no sacramental has any sort of authoritative grace, like no efficacious grace that can do that. What any sacramental does and what holy water in particular does, just like the waters of baptism remove the effect of original sin and original sin, is that it's kind of like a hard reset <laughs> um, for a computer. You know, if our body is a computer, it's like a hard reset. Well, reminding us of that should um, dispose us, you know, the appreciation for that should dispose us um, to have contrition for our sins and to seek the sacraments as soon as possible. And that is what our church has consistently taught. And scriptures are very consistent on this, um, that that contrition for sin, I was mentioning Psalm 51 earlier, that contrition for sin alone is what forgives our sins through the through Christ um, so it doesn't just touching it doesn't you know kind of create that soft reset or any hard reset but it can move you um, to have that full contrition or even the partial contrition of sin which is the avenue for uh, forgiveness but yeah that's that's holy water in a nutshell and demons are afraid of it which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and yep. And I kind of cover a few of those in the book, but there's some saints who have some really wild stories of, yeah. you know, the temptress is coming to them. St. Philip Neri in the middle of the night, you know, disguised disguises as devil or disguised as a pretty woman and they'll throw holy water yeah. on it and they'll change yes. form or something. There's some wild stories out I there, love but it. Yep. yeah, I love it. And that always, th- th- those kind of weird things, right. As a non-Catholic Christian, always like, well, why? Like what, what's going on here that makes makes demons afraid of these Catholic things, right? And that really was one of those weird things that kind of piqued my interest to begin to look into the Catholic faith. There's these weird things they do that actually, you know, seem to have effect on like demons. They must be doing something right over there in the Catholic Church. 
there's something funny to point out too, Keith, without getting too astray is like we kind of keep talking about like pagans and then our separated brothers, brothers and sisters, Protestants. You know, it's it's a kind of a shame that Protestants will come and see holy water and be like, that is so superstitious. But really up until uh, up until like, I mean, the Catholic Church had a connection with just about every other religion out yeah, there because yeah. every other religion um, from east to west values water as a as a kind of a, a sacred sign. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it can it can hydrate, it can lubricate, it can clean, it can heal. Um, clean water, I mean, it was rare. So, you know, so for us to use this in a, a sacramental and religious way was observable and very familiar to a lot of uh, pagan cultures and, and religions out there. And it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird uh, dichotomy that, you know, our separated brothers and sisters kind of are a little bit afraid of it because the people who should be kind of being like, what on earth is this, who aren't Christian, they get it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's really the interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I want to touch on two more things before we have to have to go. The first is like medallions and medals, maybe actually scapulars because those are really interesting and look very weird for non-Catholic Christians. And then I want to, I want to just talk about kind of sacramental devotions and maybe just pick like one that you think is like the, the coolest one to, to talk about, but let's do maybe, uh, I don't know, medallions or, or scapulars because the these, again, are those things that many times, many times, right, the non-Catholic Christian looks at a, a Catholic with a, a weird medal or, like, wearing something strange, right? That One of the tropes that you often hear is, oh, well, the Catholic believes that having this, and I've heard this from sometimes well-meaning Catholics, sometimes people who are a bit more on the superstitious side, like, oh, yeah, having this medal in my, in my pocket means I go to heaven automatically when I die, right? Which, yeah. which seems like a big red flag for the non-Catholic Christian who goes, really? All you gotta do is carry a medal around and you automatically you're saved? Like, just bing when you die? That seems kind of a little bit sketchy when I read my Bible and, and, and look at what it actually says, yeah, right? Yeah, you want to talk about ex opere operato with them. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'll try. I can try to cover both, but let's start with the medallions. So, medallions, these are one of the earliest Christian practices. And what, what, actually early Christians would do kind of similar to, to their pagan brothers, pagan, pagan brothers and sisters to their, to their, you know, pagan, pagan counterparts is they would carry around, like if there was a, a you know, a, an old coin with the previous emperor's face on it, you'd have to get it restruck. Um, so what they would do is they would not get it restruck. They would have it restamped with like the image of a saint. One of the earliest of, of these forms was St. Christopher, or they would have like a metal, they would have the, an image of the holy face of Christ on it. And these would be carried around, um, you know, by these converts who were previously carrying around, you know, either the image of the emperor, yeah, you know, they wouldn't yeah. just spend their money. They would actually use it as kind of like a charm, um, in order to say like, Hey, this is a living God. Um, and I am, you know, assenting to his power. Well, after they converted, they didn't really want to let go of that. Uh, there's no real problem with baptizing that. So they would say, well, here's the image of our God, and I am assenting to his ultimate yeah, authority yeah, over all yeah. mankind. Um, and they kind of grew from there. Um, and they they were, you know, some some of them were stamped in wax. We call those Agnus Dei. Uh, they would con contain an image of uh, a lamb, uh, like a Paschal lamb, and that's covered in the book. It's pretty rare, um, you know, not just because they're uh, stamped in stamped in wax and that kind of breaks, but um, the practice has kind of been um, 
relegated only to popes, which is kind of cool, but makes them rare. Um, that's kind of a brief history of medals. Um, the book covers them and like over the course of like 15, really very copiously um, uh, peppered pages with a lot of facts. <laughs> yes. um, but so there's a lot to say there, but then, uh, then scapulars, so scapulars. Yeah. So early monks, you know, who would be laboring in the fields, um, they would want to uh, dress in the, um, you know, the, 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 the regalia that would uh, be common to the worker. Well, as soon as that those uh, those regalia and those vestments changed, you know, workers in the field would not just go to a toga or some sort of overthrow. They would go to like, you know, pants and a shirt. Um, these religious, they kind of they were a little bit poor. They were a little bit left behind in that fashion. They would keep it. And so it became actually synonymous with the monks in the field, you know, the who would go to the monastery at the end of the day. They would keep wearing this you know, in order to kind of keep the tradition of yesteryear alive. And sooner or later, it became only them who were wearing it. And so the scapular was rem uh, a remnant of that. And it was just basically an overthrow. It contained like a little circlet for the head to go through, and it would go over the shoulders. And that those bones are called the scapula, right? And so that's where we get scapular from. It goes from over the shoulder. And this comes from the rule of St. Benedict, very uh, prosperously for, for most monks. You know, he's the father of Western monasticism. So they would kind of borrow from his rule or observe his rule. And what he says in his rule is, is that the monks should wear them, um, you know, to resemble the work that they are doing for the Lord. So other religious orders, I'm a lay Dominican. We have kind of a smaller scapular. Um, if we wear that, or even the Carmelites have the brown scapular. You know, it's like a full scapular that goes all the way down to your ankles. But even the lay people have been invested with this privilege in order to um, show the work that they're doing within the order. So um, there, I hope that I kind of kind of hit that. Well, I know we're kind of getting close to the time here, but yeah, that's the history and the meaning of scapular. Um, and there's, oh my gosh, I thought that there was like the white scapular and maybe the black scapular that a Benedictine would wear and then the brown scapular. I had to cover at least like eight or nine or 10. And this is like, I had to run out of kind of the word count here on scapulars, but basically every, almost every religious order adopted a type of scapular so we we tried to cover a lot of the ones that might be interesting to the layperson <laughs> yeah and it's such a fascinating strange thing and again these things can look strangely superstitious to those who are on the outside who don't quite understand it but it comes from it's rooted in devotion right in wanting to draw closer to god not necessarily wanting to cheat the system and like get to heaven when you get hit by a car wearing your scapular, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And it's particular with the brown scapular. And I mean, it's it's printed right on there. You know, St. Simon Stock was presented the brown scapular by the Blessed Virgin Mary and like the the mid 1300s and it, you know it's popular piety to say that hey you know those who wear this scapula this is the coming from the words of our lady herself is those who die wearing the scapula be you know have no delay in being entered into heaven well that's like a guarantee that's kind of hard to make right you don't just get it from wearing it what the sabbatine privilege is that's what it's called that the sabbatine privilege means is that if you wear this and you're fully invested in it, it's called an investiture ceremony then you're going to observe certain qualities of life you know certain activities like the recitation of the daily office the um the prayer to the rosary the you know frequent confession and then daily mass um, those of course i mean are going to lead you to sanctification yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah. in a way you can say that if you're fully invested in observing the devotion that goes along with the brown scapular that, yeah, you've got a pretty good chance of enduring your final perseverance.
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that makes total sense. And I think, like, I mean, a lot of these things come from a, come from a place where you have to set them in context. I remember hearing a lecture by David Anders, Doctor David Anders, another amazing convert to the Catholic faith, about what happened with the tradition of say medals at the Reformation. Right, these Christians who'd been used to pinning medals to themselves and carrying medals around. This was a, this is a popular tradition to draw them closer to, to God, to help them to to think about their faith and reflect on that, right? At the Reformation, these confused Christians who, the Catholics, who became Protestant, then actually began to pin, like, Bible verses to themselves and carry slips of paper with with the words of the Bible on it in their pockets, because that was, okay, we can't carry around medals anymore. That's too superstitious, or whatever. That's a Catholic thing. We're Protestants now. We can carry around Bible verses. And it was a very similar thing that they were doing, Right, just with the, the literal word of God instead of with with pictures of saints we can pray to, it comes from the same place, right? The, that the exact same place of wanting to draw closer to God in that tradition where you where you come from, right? So yeah, I think like framing it like that in in both those cases is like helpful. I think to understand like, look, we're both doing the same thing, just from our own kind of tradition right right it's like that that whole thing we said like 30 minutes ago i'm religious but not or i'm spiritual but not religious like mankind has this itch to behave a certain way with our convictions especially with those of the spiritual matter and if we believe that god created the world around us then i mean there's almost nothing we can't baptize in order to give him glory so you know whether it's a candle or a bible verse or pinning to ourselves or a medal or a scapular you know or these on use day or a crucifix you want to wear on your neck you know there there's not to not to just say hey look there's nothing wrong with it but are you know Paul would say you know it's written on our heart you know it's evidenced in the way that mankind wants to yes. you know genuflecting yes. like you mentioned you know we we want to show our faith somehow and so that of course is emanated through the portrayal you know it's portrayed through the um you know, through the wearing or the presentation or the observance of these sacraments. It's beautiful. It's fun. Yeah. You know, I think that was going to be one of your first questions to me early, <laughs> Keith, was how'd you get into this? I'm like, well, I got into it because it's fun. Yeah. Because yeah, this is what we're all itching to do is to show that just to, not to tell everybody we're Catholic. You don't even have to do that. You can put it under your shirt and be secret about it. Yep. But just to just to know it. You know, and to, and to live it. Yeah. And it's important to do that with, with the things that, you know, consecrate and, and bless us. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And we, we inherit as converts such a rich tradition of the, that goes back to the very beginning and so many ways to express and understand our faith. I mean, I said at the beginning of the interview, right, that this book is the, the book that so many of us were, were itching to get because there are so many ways of being Catholic. It's almost impossible to know what, where to draw from and what to, um, where to go because there's just so many different means of doing that. I love that you could have presented all here for us to kind of go, okay, here are all my options. Like, what should I explore, you know, more, more deeply from here? Uh, I, I think it's amazing. I want to in like 30 seconds. Well, we, don't, we, we can go longer than that, but... I'm curious for one one final question for you is because the last part of this book is talking about devotional practices, right? And this is, again, like, you know, you have signs of the cross, you have holy water, you have all these different kinds of things we talked about. And then there are actual real practices that you can get into, like the rosary, divine office, the divine mercy chapel, like all these rich kind of prayer practices, rich ways of orienting our lives towards growing deeper in Christ. I, I've done different one, different um 
different devotions, different times of my life that fit better or, or, or worse at different times. There's so much in there you can do yeah. to help you deepen your relationship with Christ. As a Catholic, I don't know to ask you your favorite one or one you'd recommend people just try if they're curious. Uh, yeah. I, I know I know the uh, a favorite challenge of mine for like the non-Catholic Christian, we'll just pray the rosary. Just try it. Like see what you, yeah. you know, understand what it means, do some research, buy this book and, re- and read what you say about the rosary and then try it. Like there's, yeah. there's I don't know, there's, there's so many different, different ways you can answer this question. I'm making it hard for you to just pick one. No, no. Um, I am a lay Dominican. I would immediately go to the rosary, but um, the one that I would recommend to any type of Christian, even new Catholic or old Catholic out there is the stations of the cross. You know, this is really like the prefunctory. This, this is the, the very first devotion. If there ever was one, Jesus said, take up your cross. And from the earliest times of his, you know, life and resurrection, they wanted to retrace his steps and literally carry crosses to follow, you know, everything from the Praetorium where he was condemned all the way up to Golgotha where he was crucified and to his tomb where he rose again. And, um, you know, so, so the stations of the cross, of course, 14 stations that depict his final suffering. Um, but also, you know, there's deep and wonderful reflections that you can have about the life of Christ um, within those two. So um, that's what he commanded us to do. It's very easy to make. Um, the stations are, you know, there's the scriptural ones. There's the traditional ones. Um, there's even the stations of the resurrection, which the, the church has uh, acknowledged and blessed off on. Um, this is like the the prima you know, this is the this is the, the highest type of devotion that we can do in order to follow our, our Lord, even if we can't be martyrs, you know, then that was really where this all came from is not everybody could go to the Holy Land and be martyred yeah, for being yeah, a Christian, yeah. you know, so we had to find a way to kind of carry our cross and to follow him and his suffering. Um, that's what this is all about. So, and it doesn't have to just be done during Lent. It can be done on all Fridays throughout the year, other than probably not on uh, Easter Friday because it's going to be a solemnity and you don't want to be doing the sorrowful or something like that. Um, <laughs> but it can be done through throughout the whole year. Um, and there's a uh, there's an indulgence that is attached to the pious devotion to the Stations of the Cross, too. So why not? Like I said, hard reset. Why not go get that plenary indulgence? You can read all about those indulgences yeah. in the book, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, the whole topic. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah awesome. Stations of the Cross, man. I could not. Oh, could, I could awesome. go on yeah, and on about it. One. I'm probably yeah, doing the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, it's fantastic. That's an awesome, good answer. Good answer. Uh, Sean, this has been an awesome pleasure to have you. I didn't go through this time, so thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for, you know, a good book last time. I read it, and I'm like, oh, great, have on the show. Never ended. So so I enjoyed well, I'm going to be your co-host now. Yeah, it's going to be so often on here. Yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, well, that's, that's great. Yeah, makes my job easier. So sure, <laughs> let's do it. Um, where do you want to point people towards to find and follow you? I uh, get this book and follow your stuff. You've got a lot out there. So wh- where should they go to, to find it? What do you want to do? Yeah. For this book, just go to tanbooks.com or go to Amazon or really anywhere books are sold. I always tell people, go to your Catholic bookstore. You know, those yes, are the yes. small businesses. They support Catholic families and the community. So go there. Um, of course, if you want to look into anything that I do, you don't have to, but um, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram doing funny stuff or you know, religious stuff on there too, or just my website, seanmcafee.com, or you can keep up with me liberally there. You know, epicpew.com is where, uh, where my bread and butter is just making making wholesome Catholic stuff for people to live their life a little bit better. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. I think I may have an article or two on there from like way back when you first launched. I think I remember you were launching that website. And, yeah. And, and I and I think I may have written something really terrible for you a couple of times. So I'm going to look it up. Was, you can share it. We can share was, it along with this when we awesome. get there. I'm sure, I'm sure it's really awful and embarrassing. I began writing as a Catholic before I was even Catholic, which is hilarious. I, I began blogging in the Catholic blog. And I wasn't even, I was a very Same. eager, eager convert. So that's Same. awesome. Sean, awesome to, uh, to talk to you. It's been a great episode. Thanks for being here. I want to say God bless you, your family, and the work you're doing for the church. And thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks, Keith. Well, thank you once again, friends, for listening to this episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. What do you think? Let me know. CordialCatholic at gmail.com is our email address. I am overwhelmed at times with the young family and lots of emails, so I will get back to you as soon as I can, but please don't hesitate to reach out. Let me know who you are, where you're listening from, why you're listening, and what you thought of this episode. It's always great to hear from you guys. It, sometimes it's, it's talking into a black hole sometimes, so your feedback is always so important, so valuable, and really appreciated. So thank you guys in advance we're on instagram tiktok and twitter at cordial catholic we're on youtube to watch what you're hearing youtube.com slash the cordial catholic and hey while you're there if you can subscribe to our channel to help that youtube channel to continue to grow it's doing well the algorithm has a certain thing a certain way of reaching people with these, these videos is different than podcasting but there's definitely people out there hungry for news of christ and his church and the love that god has for each and every one of them hopefully exudes from this show that's kind of the goal right if you're listening on apple Podcasts or on spotify please leave a rating or a review on those podcasting apps because that helps push the podcast out to new people as well and if you want to support the show financially those links to patreon and to paypal and the associated perks with patreon that information is in the show notes for this show and thanks guys listen Please know that I'm praying for you. Please pray for me too. And 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 if you think that anyone might be helped by this show, send them a link. Let them know. Spread the word. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm praying for you guys. God bless. Talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. And <laughs> take care. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.